This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote idea to the meaning of the word? What's up? Yo. Hey, what's going on? Yeah. We all made it last week. Oh, no, we didn't. None of us made made it. None of us. (laughs) Hey, I sort of showed up. Well, by that logic, I sort of showed up too. Yes. I, I did not show up at all. There yeah, you you want to talk about that at all, or just keep going? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was rough. Instead of us hanging out last week in person at my wedding, the wife got COVID a week before that. I ended up getting it, even though like quarantined in separate parts of the house and whatever. But of course, air conditioners blowing air around and whatever. So I ended up getting it the day her quarantine ends, which was not going to end my quarantine in time for the wedding. So we had to cancel it for the second time and push it off. So Damn. it's been a long, long cursed wedding. I mean, we're technically married already. Like we did a little outdoor thing, but when we've already put down all kinds of money on the wedding vendors and they aren't going to give you a refund, we're like, okay, if we can't have it last year, we'll reschedule it to this year. And then this happens. <laughs> so. At this point, we're like, we just need to reschedule it to as soon as possible and then get it over with. <laughs> yeah, I was telling someone that it really sucked that last year you canceled it because of COVID. And this year you canceled it because of actually having COVID. Like, <laughs> it's just yeah. a crappy situation, but at least you're both healthy now. Yeah, we made it. Did good. No problems. Just kind of a rough. I would say the first four days were like really rough and the rest of the week was kind of just tired and didn't really want to do anything. Probably the hardest thing has been (laughs) actually this week, catching up from all the work and stuff that I missed (laughs) last week, but it went as good as it could have. So thankful for that. Nobody was in the hospital. Yeah. We were obviously bummed for every, not only for y'all also, we just wanted to hang out with everyone. So we're excited. To finally, third time's a charm, right? Don't jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> we ended up taking a getaway still because we like oh, my nice. parents were going to watch the kids. So we're like, well, let's take advantage of it. And I'm pretty sure we went to a place where they don't think COVID exists. Arizona? Question mark. Do what? Arizona? Question mark. <laughs> no, no. We'll say it was in the South. And people looked at us like, okay, do you remember that scene? In Back to the Future, the first one, when he actually gets to 1955, he crashes in the barn and he's got the hazmat suit on and he gets out of the DeLorean and that kid like thinks he's an alien. Are you with me? <laughs> yes. Oh, gosh. Andrew's shaking his head. Anyway, I've that's what I felt it. like I'm wearing sorry. a mask this past <laughs> weekend. I felt like I had a hazmat suit on. COVID doesn't exist here at all. It's actually a hoax. I'm totally kidding. But like no one wears masks. I went into a massage place like a week ago and the lady was wearing a mask incorrectly. She came up close to talk to me and pulled it down. And I'm like, lady, I don't think you understand. (laughs) For me, it's like, it depends on the store. I honestly, I don't wear one usually because I I know I don't have it. So yeah, I wearing it for a hot minute after the vaccine, but my kids still can't get vaccinated and then it spiked up here. So it was like, I think it's bad here. Do I risk getting beat up potentially? Like, <laughs> No, I well, think not. 
but I not that I've ever like even come close to like having to worry about that, but it's like, I don't know. At this point, it's like if I get it, then I'm not gonna spread it to anyone here that I immediately care about. And <laughs> if you're outside without a vaccine, then that's on you, homie. Sorry. Not in all cases. That was a probably a poor <laughs> statement. <laughs> well, thanks for joining remote bum, COVID. Bum, bum. God uh, <laughs> We'll see you next week. Cancel. <laughs> it's yeah. a different vibe here. It's interesting. They're still trying to overthrow the election down here. Welp. <laughs> I think you said last week about how good we are at segueing out of things. And I don't know how to yeah. get out of that one. So Ruby. Segueing to things. <laughs> Have you guys been doing any uh, stuff with Rails 7 yet? I would say I'm a stalker <laughs> of, of yeah. a bit, but not, a, yeah. not an up close fan. Well, today actually, or last night or something, was Carlos merged the device changes into main. They're not released yet, but that's a good sign. So seems like that and Adder Encrypted were really my only two things to upgrade on Jumpstart Pro. So I had a really good time with that upgrading. And then I was talking to one of my friends about ES Build and everything. And He's got this big React app that they're using Webpacker for really heavily. And we sat around and within an hour had migrated like all of their stuff over to using ES Build, except for the referencing images in your JavaScript is still not like fully solved. Cause like with SAS Rails or whatever, it's got the asset URL helper stuff. With ES build, you would end up having to like have ES build kind of dump your images not into the asset pipeline, but really they probably belong in like public or something instead. So that was kind of like the last roadblock on there. And I know that that's the issue that like Ryan Bates is on the prop shaft library, but we we're both super surprised to take a massive React app and then have it running on ES build like lightning fast here in, in an hour. And we were like, wow, this is cool. So that was good. Yeah, not, yeah. not a whole lot of, of stuff. So like, I'd be surprised when you guys ever start working. Are you on Rails 6.1 at Podia? We are, yeah. Because I, I bet you that, for one, you don't have to move to JS bundling or anything. So like, that's not a requirement. But I would I bet you'll be able to upgrade to, to Rails 7 quick. I would imagine. Yeah, I think we could too. Andrea would be the... Would have a better gauge on it. I would like to try the JS bundling stuff. Kind of convenient for us. We still haven't fully migrated off the asset pipeline. So we actually have both the asset pipeline and Webpacker running. So what happens when you have the asset pipeline, Webpacker, and ES build? And you're just, you just like use everything, a little bit of each. How's that sound? <laughs> it, it's more to add to a job description. Responsibilities include three different asset managers. Resume pad. (laughs) More job security. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The you telling me that you are able to pretty quickly migrate. Like we don't do a ton of React, but we have a decent amount of React. And that would be nice to have ES build. We have a massive amount of stimulus controllers. So we'd probably look at your JS, your ES build rails, Jim. And and that's not just useful for stimulus, by the way. I have a whole bunch of little files that are like override data confirm with a native tailwind modal. And like that doesn't export anything. So you can import like the source directory, a bunch of random stuff like that. 
with it too, which is useful because a lot of the like yes build glob import plugins like expect exports, which isn't really right. useful. So I kind of designed it to work with importing all your stimulus controllers if there's a export and if there's no export, I want it to still work too. So I tried to balance that out in the, the library so that it was useful for like everything. I think it turned out nice because you can import all your action cable channels or stimulus controllers or just random files. It'll be yeah. useful, I imagine. I want to try and use it out. One of the barriers to ES build for me is inertia because like I don't know enough about JavaScript tooling, I guess, or JavaScript to get it to work. But because like the inertia docs, basically you have like, I guess you would call it like a dynamic import for when you're like going to fetch a page for inertia, it feeds it the page name and it knows like how to require it for like Webpacker and stuff. So I'm wondering if I could try using something like that for replacing that so I could like dynamically do that. But mm-hmm. I haven't tried it. Mm-hmm. I just... It's like the app I have inertia in is so small right now that Webpacker is not a problem. But as soon as like I were to do more than I would be looking at like 10 day build times, stuff like that. So Yeah, I wonder how, if at all, tied the inertia rails library is tied to Webpacker or anything. To my knowledge, I haven't really dug into it. I use inertia rails, but I'm pretty sure it's only the server side part of it. Cool. Cool. That's great. That's a good... Yeah. Good balance to have there. So I will say, are either of you using an encryption library like uh, Adder Encrypted or Lockbox or whatever? So I use Lockbox in one of my like newer apps. I use Symmetric Encryption Gem for HopeGrid. Hmm. I forgot about that one. Yeah. Like it's worked really well, but it just feels kind of heavy in terms of like using it. I don't know the setup for it and stuff. I really liked using Lockbox and I'm kind of at a spot where I need to add a field to our database at work that I want to encrypt and I don't know whether to rely on pre-existing thing or I'm probably putting off adding that column till rail 7. <laughs> I would probably just add it with Lockbox because if you're going to make a migration in the future you could just do add another column, right? Like it's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. It's not like you're using symmetric encryption and lockbox and adder encrypted and have to do three migrations that are totally different. So I would probably not worry too much about it, but I will say because specifically adder encrypted is no longer really being maintained and some of the method names conflict with the Rails 7 encryption stuff, I wrote a migration this weekend or in did a screencast on it. It'll come out shortly or probably will have been out by the time this airs. But yeah, I will say the migration is really not too bad. I did have to spend a couple hours like reading through the source code of Adder Encrypted and just see how they do the encryption and decryption. But what I did was basically I upgrade to Rails 7 and I use Austin Miller's fork of Adder Encrypted that's compatible. So I can like make sure everything works in Rails 7. And then the migration is as simple as comment out because what you can do is the adder encrypted, and this may be a problem if one of those libraries uses the same field name, but adder encrypted's database column was encrypted 
whatever, like encrypted social security number. And so I could comment out the outer encrypted line that creates the virtual attribute and then read from the column in the migration, decrypt it by writing my own SSL cipher, open SSL cipher decrypt that was exactly the same as what the gem does internally. I just wrote that in the migration and then I can remove outer encrypted completely, run the migration and the new encrypts, I just decrypt the old value in memory and then assign that to the new attribute, which will automatically be encrypted and then save the column and then voila, you're done. And it was like six lines of code or something to write your uh, open SSL cipher decrypt. It was super simple. Luckily, the, the encryptor gem is the one that does all that. It was a little overly complex because they kind of merged the encrypt and decrypt into the same function. And you would give it like the action that you wanted, encrypt or decrypt. But that way, they could supply the exact same options and stuff, more or less. But there was an awful lot of little if statements that were like, if there's an IV or not, then do these different things. So it took me a few tries to like go through that. And then the funny part was, so I grab an existing record from an app and drop it in my example app that I'm like, okay, we'll test the decryption with this record and see if I can get it. Well, I did not copy over the same encryption key to that app, but I copied the record over and I was like, I swear this code is right, but it's not decrypting. It's just failing with no error message. and just raising an error and no explanation. And I was like, 30 minutes into that, just like, struggling, trying to figure out what was going on. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I never copied the key over. (laughs) So that was a sign that it was like, it's pretty late at night. I better stop. (laughs) I'm pretty excited for the first party support in Rails though. Like, It's nice. Deterministic. So you can query for a column in the database, even though it's encrypted and find the record and... My favorite part, though, is the progressive encryption you can do where it like allows unencrypted data. So you could just slap it on an existing Rails app and it'll work. And so you can grab like, if you want to encrypt email addresses or something, you can. And all of your existing email addresses are going to be fine and you can like progressively encrypt them. That is the coolest part because that makes adoption of this like really easy. Yeah. You can do it over time. You don't have to do it all in one crazy migration. So it seems you know, well done. Very well done. You know who's had encryption built in? This, this is going to uh, do it. The Lair- he's he's going to say it. That's it. Lair- 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 he said it. He, he said the thing. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> say it three times and Angel gets its wings. Well, speaking of PHP, do you want to talk about Ruby 3.1? Sure. Or, or PHP, what, eight? Who knows? Nine, 10? I thought they were like, yeah, maybe 12. I'm too far in the future. I thought they were already talking about nine. No, 8.1. They're already you on would, 8.1. You would know which version they're on. Please do not use this in production. That's what 8.1 says. <laughs> yeah, right. Great. Bet. Bet. <laughs> uh, the episode that was released today, uh, there was something that happened and Jason just goes, bet. Anyway, Ruby 3.1, we know now what the barrier to getting that released is. And that is 
this new project from Shopify getting merged into Ruby called YJIT. And YJIT is a open source JIT compiler for C Ruby from Shopify. Yeah. What did you say? Yeah, shit. You said it wrong. Are you cursing? <laughs> I, I was like, what? My brain just like shorted. <laughs> it sounded French for a second. It is. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Wait. Okay. Jason's gone off the rails. All right. Continuing on. I don't know a ton about the JIT that's currently in Ruby. All I know is that it does not make Rails faster. And the difference between this YJIT is that it can. It makes Rails a lot faster. Active Record, they, they've got some benchmarks on the RubyLang org issue. And YJIT optimizes a, a number of common benchmarks. Here they are. So Active Record is 1.3 times faster. Jekyll is 1.1. Chris Seaton's benchmark is 1.4 times faster. OpCarrot is 1.6 times faster. Rails bench loads 1.2 times faster. So basically makes it faster. And I don't understand the ins and outs of it because it's very complicated. And I looked at the repo and I was like, just kind of backed on out of there. But they are currently trying to upstream it into Ruby. And according to the Ruby Lang issue, as soon as this is merged, as soon as YJIT is merged, it will be Egypt. in Ruby. <laughs> what just happened? Egypt? Is, are you saying, I need phonetics Egypt. here. Egypt. It sounds like you're saying good shit. <laughs> Same thing. Okay. Well, what it loosely as as, translates to. As soon as this good shit's merged, they're going to release the Ruby 3.1 preview. Is like the intention behind this, the current JITs haven't really improved Rails performance and this one's trying to specifically target that? Because I, I remember reading that somewhere that was that Shopify's JIT was like trying to do that because they're using Rails or whatever. I'll say what this says, and I don't know if this will answer the question, but it says... The JIT translates YAR of instructions to machine code and employs a technique known as lazy basic block versioning in order to specialize code based on types seen at runtime and reduce generated code size without needing to static type analysis. So it sounds like it's on top of the existing JIT, but that could be wrong. It might just be a whole different thing. There's a talk at Ruby Kaigi about it that I would encourage someone who's smarter than me to go watch. All I know is that it's currently running in production in Shopify, but I don't think it's I don't think it's rolled out to everything, but they said they are running it in production. So that's kind of big. We'll do it live. What about Tender Jet though? I would like to know more about this Tender Jet because it sounds like something I would be willing to get behind. So I just saw Tender Love like tweet about it last week, but I don't know anything about just in time compilers. Like I understand at the highest level what they do, but that's about where my knowledge stops. But this is an experimental JIT compiler. And it says the design is based mostly off you shit. Yeah, it says main reason is he's helping to build a more production ready, actually fast and good JIT at work called you shit. What is this? <laughs> what are y'all saying? I, I don't understand. Why not JIT? Why JIT? Why not JIT? He says that I was not confident in my skills to build a JIT whatsoever. So I wanted to try my hand at building one in pure Ruby. That's cool. So that's, I guess, the tender JIT one is a Ruby JIT implementation, which is so cool because, like, how does that even work? Right. I was like going to say that's pretty meta. Writing Ruby in Ruby and, like, yeah, pretty cool. Telling stuff, Ruby so. to compile Ruby in Ruby. I, the second reason is that I wanted to see if it was possible. 
to write JIT for Ruby in pure Ruby. So there you go. This I'm sure is pretty interesting. And I think, didn't he do a stream with Hexdevs the other day about this stuff? So see if we can put that in the show notes. Yeah, may have to watch that. I will be on Hexdevs next week, which will be fun. So, but that'll be the day before this comes out. Not a very good announcement, huh? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, HoneyBadger.io. One of the things that's really tricky about error monitoring is that when you get an error, it could have come from anywhere. It could have come from a background job or a user doing some weird thing and they have JavaScript turned off. You never know. And so you might get these stack traces, but you might not know how to debug them. And that is really a pain in the butt. So HoneyBadger has a really cool feature called breadcrumbs. And you can integrate their client-side and server-side libraries so that you can track what was going on when an error occurred. So for example, you have a front end, it has a button to go sign up, your user clicks that and it makes a post request to your API and your API has a failure response and then your JavaScript has an error because, well, something went wrong on the back end. Well, what's really cool is that you're able to track all of that with HoneyBadger and see the steps that actually happened in the browser and the server side. So you can go replicate those steps and try it yourself and actually replicate those errors and actually solve the bugs. And that is super cool because if you're just trying to look at the stack trace and you don't know what happened that led to that, it's really tough. So HoneyBadger can really save you a bunch of time I think that is one of my favorite features that they offer. And, you know, like we've said before, they have check-in monitoring. So if you've got cron jobs or like regular scheduled background jobs or anything like that, you can have those check in with HoneyBadger and make sure that they're running. So you can feel confident that, yes, your cron jobs actually are running. So that's it. I just wanted to give them a shout out. We love HoneyBadger and they've been a long, long time supporter of everyone in the Rails community, and they will continue to be. So check them out. They've got a generous free tier. There's really no reason not to use them. This is like semi-related. I was like trying to hack on my, I don't know how you pronounce them, Elgato key lights. There's a NPM package that will give you access to Bonjour, which is like some kind of Apple I think it's an Apple protocol. Like I remember like Bonjour Networks back when I first got a Mac. And so I was like, oh, I want to try and do this in Ruby instead of using Node because I'm a hacker. And the only gem I can find that does that is one that is a tender love gem. DNSSD gem. Hmm. And when you were talking about like that's meta, it reminded me because I was looking for an error in the code base for this thing and I could not find it. And it's because it's actually being defined in C code. It's like forwarding an error that's raised from the machine and then turning it into a Ruby error. And I was just like, (laughs) I would never know how to do any of this. It's just very fascinating. Yeah. I haven't ever really looked into any of the window or the, the Ruby like C code. Or anything like that. It looks like the tender JIT is kind of accessing a lot of those things from Ruby, which is cool. 
this is always fun stuff, I think, because for one, like if you're just trying to script something to interface your Elgato lights, you can do that from like their official app, but like their app is talking to those lights somehow and that's over the network. So like you should be able to do it too. It's a fun thing to put those projects together and like just control stuff remotely. Love that. Yeah. And I love that like this library is 12 years old. I saw Chad Fowler's name on it. Yeah. From 2004, there's a copyright on it. Then I guess in 2009, a couple other people and Aaron Patterson started working on it. And it like, it just still works. Like with Ruby three, I just like fired it up and had to do a little bit of figuring out because I don't know how Bonjour works, but I don't know. It's just different. It's fun. Yeah, it's definitely very different than the work we do day to day in Rails. Right. Those are all very specific. When you're building Rails apps or APIs or integrating with an API, like you're not doing any sort of TCP or UDP or any like low level networking period. You're like standing on the shoulders of giants on your working in your browser and all this stuff, which like your browser is insane. The amount of like rendering and processing JavaScript and CSS and security that is all being done. And we're just like, Hey, my network request didn't work. And like, <laughs> you know, fiddling yeah. with cross site scripting or cores and all that stuff. And it's just like hilarious. When you think about it, you're like, there's a million things happening to make this work. And like, I have no idea how most of it works. I was so excited just to finally get it to like find my lights in Ruby. You would have thought like I had just found legitimate gold in my house. Because setting those lights up were really cool because you like can connect with them through the Wi-Fi stuff. Like it shows up as a Wi-Fi accessory, which I didn't even know was really a thing. Because it used to be that you press that button on your router and like connect the device or or remember the days of like, oh, got to plug in my printer to the computer with the USB cable and then configure Wi-Fi and then it can be used on Wi-Fi. But, yeah, or you connect to a Wi-Fi network that the printer broadcasts only for you to connect yeah. to it and then change the Wi-Fi network that it responds to. <laughs> yeah, and these were just like, you turn them on and then they show up as a device you can connect to, which... I had not really bought anything that had that before. So I was impressed with that. Are yeah. they HomeKit enabled? They're not. Uh, They're not. I, have no idea. I was going to say, there's a Ruby iOS app where you can write Ruby inside and execute it. And by doing that, you can execute like system commands and write your own widgets and stuff with Ruby. And I wrote like a script that used... IFTT or something, use something to like automatically trigger lights based on when I got like a GitHub event or something. So That's if cool. your lights are HomeKit enabled, you could do something like that on your phone or iPad. My coworker Pedro was telling me there's a like a HomeKit project that like you can install on a Raspberry Pi and make things like HomeKit compatible. And I'm scared to go down that rabbit hole because I don't think I'll ever like come up. But I thought I'd start here with this get it to work because I have two lights and Chris figured out right before we were recording that you can control two lights with one command like in the Elgato menu but I think it'd be cool if I could like if I wanted to keep them on my work and like take them down to 10% or if I'm hopping on a call like run a command and take them back up to like 50% or something 
Yeah, they get ridiculously bright at 100%. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm actually surprised I can keep them at 35% without getting migraines. So, yeah, I will say that coming from some studio lights that I had set up that I would fiddle with them once in a while, but it was always a pain to go over behind them and like try and reach and turn them off on the backside and whatever, because they're kind of like behind your desk or whatever. And then these just mount straight to your desk and you control them with your phone or Wi-Fi or whatever. And pretty cool. They're very nice. I'm I'm very happy with them. I did want to get a stream deck. Do what? Have you seen those? I've seen that. Yeah. I don't know what I would use them for, but I have no use for it. I would be the one that would buy it for the convenience and then (laughs) regret that decision for the rest of my life. Yeah. What do you probably just use it for zoom muting? Probably. That's probably the only button. We can do a standard RB button that just like runs it. <laughs> oh. Now we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Mine automatically does it. Because I'm cool. That, but you just Mine automatically runs. Uh, so anyway. I what you're <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't want to touch a touchy subject or anything. My what? standard RB runs automatically. I don't need a button. Oh. Oh. Okay. Now I'm with you. I, I'm glad I was we're saying. All together. I miss you. Before, <laughs> before I got just pummeled with distractions, I was on a call with my boss, and right before I got on the call, I had got it to connect to the lights, like in a console, and then like I had a return prompt in IRB, so I thought, okay, like it ran and it's done. And then through a series of events, I had to leave my computer for a couple hours, and I came back, and it was still just like pinging the lights like every thirty seconds, <laughs> and I still have no idea what happened. I think you're supposed to like. After you're done browsing, maybe close your Bonjour connection. But this is why I'm not equipped to do stuff like this. Cause like I'll probably like introduce some like horribly inefficient thing that's gonna run my utility bill up like a hundred dollars a day. So take down the power grid. <laughs> this is the story of how Jason took down the power grid. That'd be a hell of a conference talk. That would be <laughs> a hell of a lot of things. I think you'd have some explaining to do, probably to Secret Service. Homeland Security. I'm just a shitty Ruby developer. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what you want from me. Yeah. <laughs> They're like interrogating you. I don't know what you want to know. I'm just a bad developer. But ask me anything about you shit. I, I still don't understand. Like, I'm just going to have to listen. I, I don't know. I explain you shit. Except the L. Except, I accept it. I'm literally just trying to pronounce the Y in front of it. Why? It's... <laughs> Why? It's pronounced why. But then people are, I'm scared. What if when I say why JIT, people are thinking that why the lucky stiff has come back and has written a just in time compiler? All right, we're taking the dirt road home again on this podcast. <laughs> it's a valid concern. I still, I stand by it. Uh, maybe. Well, I don't have really okay. anything else to talk about. So we could debate this for another 30 minutes if you want. Another 30? Oh, crap. Hold on. I'm going to need some water or something. We're going to do that. So this will be out by the time this happens, but we're giving out Ruby comp tickets on Ruby radar. That's going to be fun. I've been doing that for a while. And over the years, people have done it with me and we're going to do it again. So hopefully some people by the time this comes out, will have gotten some free Ruby comp tickets. Nice. Cool. Those will be remote or in person or does it matter? They will be virtual. Nice. Andrew, nice, you're going nice, to RubyConf, nice. right? I am going to RubyConf. 
I will be there. I will be there I'll as be well. There the whole week. I will be there Sunday through Thursday. I think I'll be there Sunday through Friday, probably. I thought that's what you might have meant by I'll be there the whole week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I think Colin and I booked like stay from like Sunday to Saturday, I think. Dang. So, so you'll be there forever. Forever, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm excited about RubyConf. I'm nervous I'm to fly. I'm not nervous. I've already flown recently, so <sighs> the What's airports your... are locked down. Like I feel like the airport's like the best place to be. No, Other than don't... the whole like breathing recycled air thing. That's what I think I'm gonna fly Southwest. They advertise their HEPA filters. You're not gonna I'm, su- I'm a sucker for anything that has a HEPA filter. So is that what that is? I was wondering. Yeah. No, nah, I, I fly only Spirit Airlines. Which is like no, heck no. Look <laughs> <laughs> concerned. Look, no, I I haven't. I need to book my air ticket probably like today. Honestly, yeah, I'm excited. We'll be there. I think we're recording while we're there. I think so. In all our mm. glory, next to the maintenance elevator again. You know it. Gonna- <laughs> I was not there for that adventure y'all had, but I do remember listening to that episode, and it was kind of hard to listen to. <laughs> I wish. I still have. We didn't have Paul back then either. That's true. I actually like spent time trying to edit that one. Usually we would just like record them and be like, all right, that was good enough. I remember working on that one so much that I still sometimes when I like close my eyes in bed, hear Chris <laughs> laughing, saying, huh, hey, what's up, Jason? Which is how one of them started because I listened to that so much. Ouch. That's, that's what Paul has to do. Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, going to RubyConf recording there. I'm actually flying that guy who kept walking by us with the 35 keys on his key ring and just for... I'm not going to go to RubyConf, but I'm going to be that guy where I'll like secretly be at RubyConf with the maintenance outfit on and just a ton of keys. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be Andy Bernard in the episode where uh, the office where he takes... He becomes manager of the office again. He's dressed as a janitor all day. He's like mopping carpet. Wait for his big moment, that'll be you. That's uh, that's what you'll hear on the on whatever gets released. It'll just be Chris mopping in the background. <laughs> there in spirit. Oh uh, yeah, we we did just derail this thing, but it's all right. Andrew, what's this Rubius app thing you linked in uh, in the notes? That's what I was talking about. There's a uh, iOS app. You can write Ruby, and you can interface with like your the phone's system commands, and you can run other stuff or you can I integrated it with IFTTT uh-huh. so it'll execute like webhooks and stuff and I don't know if you can in- integrate it with HomeKit I'm not quite sure but you can integrate it with shortcuts I think and because you can integrate with shortcuts you can basically do anything with it. That's cool. This gave me some nostalgia of when I was in high school like learning to code and stuff. I spent all of my time programming my like TI-84 calculator and Trying to code on that freaking keyboard on the calculator was the worst, but trying to code on a phone seems very reminiscent of that. <laughs> Much easier with your keyboard, but also at the same time, like I guess you're lucky that you're writing Ruby because punctuation on a phone keyboard is awful. So good thing it's not Perl. <laughs> well, you can use Plus. it on your iPad too, which makes it a lot. You can plug in a keyboard into your iPhone. Yeah. You can't do that on a TI-84 graphic nah, calculator. No. Most of the apps that like you can code stuff in on 
iPhones are JavaScript based because like with this Rubyist app, you can code your own widgets. And it might be, I think it's because uh, if I remember right, Ruby and Rails are both dead. So I think that's I why heard it's that. I heard that. Yeah. That's why Jason and I are going to DeadConf in, in a few weeks. <laughs> the Deadhead Conf. I, I think it's pretty cool. It's not that hard to write and it's kind of fun. And making your own widgets is really cool. So if you're into that kind of stuff, definitely check it out. I think it's really well done. Yeah, it looks neat. Um, and you can trigger like notifications and stuff. So like your own special notification and like to your watch as well. That's always really cool. I think I took a picture a while back of like a notification I sent from my phone to my watch. I assumed you're like sandbox though. Like you could just write Ruby. You couldn't rely on any like Ruby dependencies. I think you can only use the standard library, but then there's also additional, you can't use gems. Ruby without active support. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right. F's in the chat, I guess. <laughs> But they've, they, have, they, it, they have like their own API to like the iOS system commands and stuff. Okay. So there is so you, like stuff for that, but not, I, I think, I'm pretty sure I just use the built-in stuff for everything else. There might be a few gems that they auto include. I don't know. So similar in vein, like uh, Dragon Ruby that you can write iOS not, games and it's stuff. It's Ruby like, Motion now. Or, no. Uh, I thought it was Ruby Motion. It's the other way around. It was Ruby Motion. Uh, yeah. Whoops. Because that's the only hard thing with those. Like, it sounds great to be able to write Ruby, but then, like, it's like CoffeeScript where you have to do translation between Ruby and the Swift method calls and stuff. And that gets trickier than it sounds because at first you're like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I can go make games in, in Ruby. And then you're like, well, Actually, I have to know all of the iOS concepts and stuff first. <laughs> and uh, then I have to I transfer, would, like, translate some examples. Well, to do anything complex, you do. But I went to a RubyConf yeah. talk for Dragon Ruby, and they made like a VR game in like a few minutes that was like way cooler than I thought it was going to be. Dragon, yeah. I did game see, development before. Dragon uh, Ruby, it's a lot different, my understanding, than like Ruby Motion, because that was my complaint as well about using Ruby Motion. It's like I sat down at like a hackathon. I was like, oh yeah, this weekend I'm going to build an iOS app and it's going to be dope. And then it was like, I don't know any of the iOS method calls. You have to learn the entire, like every function that you would call in writing at that time, Objective-C. I was like, I might as well just write an Objective-C then. I follow um, Amir Rajan, who's the, I think he's the main guy that, works on uh, Dragon Ruby. He just, did you guys see the tweet the other day of the raycasting that's written in Dragon Ruby? It's so cool. I, he has so much cool stuff on his Twitter. I mean, it looks very close to the Wolfenstein 3D from back in the day. Like, it is super cool. And it's hard to believe that's all written in Dragon Ruby and because Ruby's terribly slow, I've heard. It's just not possible to write anything at all in Ruby. Word on the scale. <laughs> so and yeah, I, I thought that framework. was. I thought that was super cool stuff. I'm gonna have to read through the source code and see how it works, but there's not a lot of code there, and it handles like all the player movements and raycasting the engine and whatever. It's some cool stuff. Dragon Ruby looks awesome. He also, if I'm not mistaken, like, so he does Dragon Ruby, but I think he actually bought 
Ruby Motion, like the company from the company mm-hmm. that was running it, is it for Dragon Ruby? I think there is. So cool stuff. I love seeing that happen in, in the Ruby community. Like it's just such a great niche for somebody to to focus on. No one else is doing that and it works great. It just looks so nice. Yeah, I mean, someone else on this page has a Tetris game they made with Dragon Ruby and it looks like it's only one file. Hmm. So that's cool. That's, that's pretty awesome. Cool. We'll include a link to both these tweets in the show notes. Yeah, that's neat. I played with Ruby 2D the other day. The author of that had posted a video on making the Conway's game of life and drawing that out and in Ruby 2D. And boy, it is not very hard to go build that. And it is such a fun little, you know, spend an hour going and building that and implementing the rules and making sure you got that done right and whatever and and watching your little creations live and mutate and stuff it is such a fun little project makes me want to play with some dragon ruby stuff yeah I just call that parenting <laughs> dad jokes <laughs> alert alert <laughs> alright see you later bye alright bye